Welcome back, rugby fans, to, of course, the Rugby Debate Show, where we put ourselves and our guests to the test here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities, alongside the familiar faces of Scott, the big guy Ferrara. However, this occasion, we have somebody uh, else here joining us. This makes two teams or a two-man team for the Hammers, Rob Hammerschmidt and Preston, join us in the top right-hand corner, battling it against Scott Ferrara. An interesting one. We have never had this dynamic before, gentlemen, have we? Hopefully never again. Hopefully never again. So, in all honesty, He doesn't like hanging with his old man. He's a little, that's not a true. little embarrassed I'm a little worried me. that you and I are going to get in a fight and no one's going to have this like the ability to turn this camera around and record that. Hit him with the chair. <laughs> uh, luckily enough we encourage fighting on the show uh oh. so it works perfectly but uh more so to the point i wanted to take an opportunity to be able to remind our viewers what we do here on the rugby red is to be able to put our guests against each other to be able to debate the topic at hand they are each given the opportunity to rant with two minutes to play they will talk about the topic the good the bad the ugly what they like what they don't like and this week we are talking about the Major League Rugby title. Of course, we have our new crowned champions, the LA Guiltinis, an expansion team, a new champion for the first time. Lots to unpack about this championship final that was taking place this past Sunday, August 1st, at the LA Coliseum. So once again, we take the opportunity to be able to remind our viewers that each one of our ranters will be talking about the MLR championship final that took place in LA. The final scoreline, surprising to some and to many, it was just a predictable outcome. They say, we're going to find out what our team here thinks, and we're going to start off with Scott Ferrara. The floor is yours. Let's get hot. And let me just say there's going to be a little thing at the end I'm going to talk about. So hopefully Ty will give me a little bit of extended two minutes because it's important what I want to say at the end. Um, and Rob's already rolling his eyes. But let's talk about successful MLR final. First of all, 7,500 fans. Uh, Steve Aoki getting the crowd geared up pre-match. LA Coliseum. And honestly, besides the fact that there was great rugby being played, um, it looked professional. It would not only was it a win for the LA Guiltinis, I feel it was a win for the MLR. I mean, a lot of people had talked about the broadcast value and production they got um, through the CBS production they had, um, uh, you know, in this particular game. And I gotta say, I think you you'll you would see how it progressed through all the games on TRN and your local affiliates since match one, where you had guys who, who didn't know anything about rugby trying to do this job, and now they're in week week uh, twenty or whatever it is. So anyway, um, let's talk about a match, you know. And I think I said it before, and Ty yelled at me because I was giving away content uh, for free on the MLL fan zone. <laughs> um, but ATL got out ATL by the LA Guiltinis. Um, you know, the LA Guiltinis in the prior matches uh, were not did not have the best set pieces. Although on the defensive lineouts, they were disrupting a lot of the teams. Uh, you know, on, on that side, but they were also getting disrupted. And you know, they kind of really held it down on their own lineouts, rolling malls. You know, they really put the pressure on ATL. And if you if you watch the ATL Rooney match, you saw that ATL's best asset that they had was running up on on defense and hitting that gain line at full speed to disrupt what Rooney was trying to do in the back line. That's exactly what LA did to them. Um, and it was interesting to see that tactic roll over and, and to ATL using the same tactic they used against Rooney, um, trying to kick for possession. And obviously it didn't work. Um, I always feel like if you, whether it's the ball in hand for the forwards or the ball in hand in the backs, when you want to play LA, you want to keep the possession as much as possible because they have swift counterattacks. That first try by John Ryberg was all Makato. That second try by John Ryberg is all Makato. Now, don't get me wrong. If Ryberg's not being disciplined and running those those supporting lines does the try get scored those two tries get scored i'm not sure you know maybe they stop them because gateau wasn't getting in there but gateau opening it up to then john ryberg to come in to have an open channel i mean it, it was something that has happened all season and just happened to happen twice in the first 20 minutes of this match um ATL, on the other hand, looked very disjointed in their back line. Again, I think it was as soon as they were getting that ball, uh, you know, and LA was crossing the game line on the other side, they didn't know what to do because LA had gotten in their face. Um, it's, it's, 
it's a tough one. You know, it's one of those matches where I think LA ran out, uh, excuse me, I think ATL ran out of gas a little bit playing some hard matches at the end, you know, playing a tough Rooney team that was really a bruiser of a match. Um, and, you know, obviously then going to the West Coast to go play a final is always going to be tough uh, in, in this day, in this, even with this travel, you know. Um, but uh, real quick, I just want to say this is this is my little thing. Um, so my buddy, uh, my buddy, uh, Nish Nareth, uh, he works for, you know, MLR. He's in operations and marketing. Uh, he put this little post out at, at the end of the, at the end of the match. And he said, no games canceled. Let me say that again. No games canceled. Launch to the rugby network. So that way it's free to all viewers. Built a strong sponsorship, including American Airlines, Geico, and Guaranteed Rate. Had eight teams competing for four playoff spots going into the last three rounds of competition. Built new fan engagement tools, the MLR app, uh, betting partnership with Genius Sports, and the fan portal that's now part of the MLR app. If you guys haven't seen it, the MLR app has been updated with the fan portal. And launched successful grassroots development initiatives with all 12 teams competing in the league. Again, it's not only a win for the Giltinis, it's a win for the MLR. Thanks for letting me go over the time. Hey, Ty, well, first of all, he may have gone over time just with his rant, but I will say I'll allow that last piece. Any potential investors looking to get into the league, I think, needs to take that little summary and break it down piece by piece because that <laughs> illustrates just how strong the league came out of COVID. So uh, I think that was well taken. Thank you, Scott, for reminding everybody how important – um, this season has been for the growth and development of rugby in the United States. Uh, I couldn't agree anymore. And, you know, the MLR final is so much more than a victory for just LA. It's a victory for the sport in uh, North America, for the fans, and of course, as the league and everybody who's involved at all different levels of the organization and, of course, the sport. So it is worth mentioning, but let's rewind to some of those few points that Scott had brought up that is worth revisiting. One of which you said the production value, CBS, what a better home to be able to have the final broadcasting it, right? And then on top of that, what better place to have it broadcast and play than the LA Coliseum. One of the great advantages we spoke about when it was first revealed that this would be the home for LA is the broadcast quality that can come from a venue like that. And they delivered. And it was a slick, professional-looking product. And to your point there, Rob, how great is it for if you're a potential uh, investor or a potential new fan and you tune in and you see the level of production being at that standard and the crowd was energetic. It was great camera angles. It looked good. And it looked like a festival atmosphere. And then the rugby on the field delivered as well. And uh, on that point, talking about rugby ATL, who played that kicking game, possession, I think you said was the key in that regard. But you also kind of compared it to a battle that they had where it was a ground and pound against uh, Rooney, a little bit more of a tougher physical battle. And that's what I I would have expected from ATL was to have that same physicality that we come to love from them. And it was traditionally one of their strengths that I didn't quite personally see involved in this game as much as I had seen in the past. I don't want to dive too much further into that because I'm sure I'm now going to start stepping into some of the territory that Rob and Perston might be able to have in their conversational rants. So what we're going to do here is we're going to hand it over to Preston as our guest before the big hammer takes over. So Preston, give us your thoughts. Yeah, um, I think Scott touched on a little bit. Um, ATL got out ATL. Uh, you know, um, in the past season, ATL has been known to kind of kick away, gain, uh, push, push the other team back in territory, and that's really what wins a lot of more um, international test rugby is pushing the other team back in their own in their own zone, and then letting that team play into a penalty or a knockout or some something of that nature. But in this game. I noticed ATL's kicking ability wasn't there when they kicked down deep. It wasn't deep enough, and it was right down the middle channel of the field. It wasn't in the 15-meter channel where it really should be in um, off a of 10. And the other thing I really noticed is that ATL's lineup keeps changing in the back line. Um, and I think there's some continuity issues that really spread, and this is why ATL has been so defense-focused, is that they haven't been able to attack really well because they keep changing their fly half. I mean, and when you change a quarterback in football, your your attack's not going to run all that well. It's the same thing in rugby. If you're changing your 10 every couple weeks, 
it's, it's going to have the same effect. And I think then on top of that, Getsu was putting kicks in deep that were right in that channel that ATL would grab and they'd be either tackled right away or is right over ATL's head. And that was issues. You know, there was one time where Ryberg knocked it on and he mentioned it when we watched it. But after that, all the kicks ATL put in were right in the middle. Ryberg would either take it down the channel or pass it off. And transition ball is what really won the Giltinis the game. And I think really ATL shot themselves in the foot um, in that sense, which was which was really disappointing having uh, put ATL by about five on Superbrew, really hoping for, for something magical out of that. Right. But other than that, I think ATL really, really missed out. And I think I count at least five to ten times where they went into into contact the ball and, and they knocked it on, which is something you can't do. I mean, when you look at professional era rugby, that's something you don't do. And when you do do it, it turns into a transition ball and that's when teams teams score. And that's what's really happening in rugby now is transition ball is key. And we can tell Giltini's putting the foot down, making a bleed or, or choke out. And ATL think definitely choked. Right. Um, and I think uh, so. I, I, there's a couple of points that I wanted to dive in on there very quickly um, before it forget. I forget it. So the two things that I will take away from your rant there, Preston, is one, they were playing the kicking game, but they weren't doing it well. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing is that they were the physicality, as I mentioned a moment ago, that was present in all of this leading up to here wasn't quite there. And as you said, when they were going into contact, they were losing the ball. And as we all know, you got to protect the ball. And they weren't doing a great job of that because, the the uh, on the other hand, L.A., was turning over the ball fairly often in those breakdown areas, which is uncharacteristic for ATL to lose so much ball in situations they normally been dominant in. And uh, that, again, is another point, is that there weren't enough dominant tackles. They were, you know, being hit and going backwards, or they were being put so far back that when they did run the ball up, they had already lost about five to six meters on each play, just wasn't crossing that game line enough, right? So really good points there. Two that I think they'll definitely stand out as as something worth mentioning and you address those. Rob, let's hear what you've got to share. So ATL played, in my mind, the perfect ATL game for the first 20 minutes. But what do they do best? They do best by playing from, from the front. So getting a, a couple uh, penalties, being three, six, nine ahead, and then they can afford to play a defensive structure, right? The problem is, is that once LA scored those two tries uh, at uh, minute 21 and minute 23, immediately ATL is on the back foot and they don't play well from behind. They're not an offensive oriented team. So, you know, that idea of kicking away possession, putting teams back in their 22 and making them play out of it isn't going to work as well because you got to have possession to score. Um, so once, once, uh, LA, uh, scored those two tries, the script blew up, ATL had to recover and they just don't have that explosive offense, uh, to be able to play, uh, from behind all that well. Um, and as Preston mentioned, I noticed Ryberg knocked that first kick on in the first 20, but after that he was rock solid and he really, um, they were able to counterattack in it and it didn't play to ATL's structure. Uh, ATL was killed by turnovers. We mentioned that. But they didn't also control the ruck as often as they usually do, whether it be on offense or defense. But I want to mostly focus on offense. Oftentimes, they would get into contact. There would be two or three guys right there. They would control the ruck and be able to develop another phase. They didn't do that too well. You saw uh, L.A. actually poach the ball a number of times mm-hmm. immediately, either uh, you know, stripping the ball from hand, or by getting them the the hands on the uh, on the ball immediately before the uh, you know the ATL support lines could be there, and I think that hurt them. I remember one run by Masagalu stormed up. He made twenty five or thirty meters, and I'm screaming. He has no support, and of course, what happens? It creates a turnover. Finally, once LA was ahead, they controlled the tempo of the game and they used the kick to do it. Not necessarily a high ball, although that happened. They chipped ahead. That's how Ryberg scored the second try, right? It was that little chip through over top, and it was um, AAC that uh, that got the ball and then passed to Ryberg, who uh, ultimately scored a second try. Um, and they also kicked for you know possess, uh, kicked for touch a couple of times and put ATL on the defense within their five meter line. And that really put a lot of pressure on them and found it difficult to play out of their end. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. So ATL, unfortunately, we, we've driven this point home again, but I wanted to recap so everybody who's listening and watching knows that traditionally they're great at the breakdown area. They're usually very good to be able to protect that ball as soon as the player hits the ground. And you say protecting the ball to recycle it quickly, and that just wasn't happening. And I left the player on the ground exposed for a little bit too long, and the turnovers came about. The rolling malls, however, was a strength that worked in their favor if we have to find some good here. Um, you know, traditional strength, we know that that, that line out um, five meters out, that they're, they're devastating. And they have been using this tool really well all season, and it worked it's great in, in, in the case of, was it two tries from, from, from uh, mall situations, uh, rolling mall situations, or at least one I can think of. There was one. There was one early on in the first half, and I think it, right. it made the so, difference at half. Um, I think it was the difference was eight at that point, um, going yeah. into halftime. And at that point, you felt like it was still anybody's game, right? At least by scoreline only. Now, if you had to break it down and look at who was playing the better game at that point, it was definitely going to be LA, and it had been LA pretty much right from about. Well, here's the other thing to bear in mind, and we spoke about this, I think, last week, and if it wasn't last week, it was only the week before that, but recently, and we said that the first 20 minutes are critical to the outcome for LA, and if you can stop that attack in the first 20 minutes, chances are that you felt strong that you would be able to hold them off for the rest of the game, but in contrast to what we believed and what had been evidence in the past, at 3-3, it was the score, I think, somewhere around about the first water break mark, so around about that 20 minutes. And then the points came from Ryberg a few minutes later in quick succession. So it must have taken the wind out of the sails for ATL. What do you think, Scott? Well, I was going to say it's reminiscent. It's funny. We talk about the first 20 minutes. And do you know what match that didn't happen was the first time LA played AGs at Coda. And I... I, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. It was early in the season. I think at halftime, LA was only winning seven to three, and Close, the final, yeah, yeah and the, the final, or it might have been seven to fourteen at that point. But I, I'm pretty sure it was seven to three or seven to ten or, or uh, three to ten. Um, but I do remember at the end of that match, Ryberg muscles through to score the last try, and the final becomes seventeen to three. And that last, that second half of that AG's uh, um, LA match reminds me of pretty much the last. 60 minutes of the, this match. Um, it was, it was like, you know, um, it, ATL was holding them to a certain extent, but then they would, uh, and then LA would break through and ATL just couldn't do anything on offense. And that was the same thing that happened to the AGs in the, in the game. I think that was the first time anybody held um, LA under, you know, whatever it is, 38 points or whatever it was, but, LA stifled them on offense, you know, and it just, it, it, there's so many parallels between that early match to this late match that, you know, we talk about the first 20 minutes, but you know, sometimes you can hold them the first 20 minutes and it still doesn't go your way. Yeah. So Rob, I want to throw it over to you. Who were really some of the standouts that made the biggest difference out there in the field for the MLR final? Well, I, I mean, obviously, Matt Gittu, uh wins the man of the match. Um, you know, he was responsible for launching Ryberg directly in that first try. In the second try, he he had that, you know, really nice kick ahead that was ultimately gobbled up by uh, AAC and that sprung, you know, Ryberg to score in the corner. Um, I thought he pre- played well. Um, you know, for me, though, it was – and I'm a big Goddard fan. I just think he plays the ball so quick and so fast – that um, it actually played to their strong suit because it minimized the speed of attack uh, of the defensive line speed of, of ATL, right? Because it's harder to get set. One of the tries, Preston and I were talking about it. Um, I think it was one of the last try that was, or, you know, it was DTH's try. We're watching the match together. We're at the Chicago Blaze. A couple of guys are there. And um, we watched in the replay chance. Uh, Wengelewski oh, yeah. just come into the game, right? The ball goes out to DTH, and he actually has to fold four times mm-hmm. to get around to even have an opportunity. And of course, you got an, uh, you know, an, you got a, a mismatch with a prop against, D, you know, against <laughs> a winger like DTH. But he had to fold four times because there was no defensive support out wide, mm-hmm. right? And because Goddard played those phases so quickly, 
you know, you found that the defensive structure broke down because you have a prop trying to, you know, fold four times and try to stop DTH scoring in the corner. Right. And so in my mind, you know, it was it was that quickness which with Goddard played the ball that made a huge difference and perhaps went undervalued um, for right. me. And that's kind of been the sentiment all season long. You've been singing his praises. So why would it be any different in the final, right? But another layer to that, I think, is that in this particular matchup, they were already realizing that they were under pressure at these breakdown areas and committing more bodies to them to be able to try and secure that ball, especially when you're in that red zone area on your side, right? Um, that again, rugby is a game of mismatches. As you identified, it was a mismatch on the outside. They put DTH in the top left-hand corner, who, by the way, through the fan poll on the MLR fan zone, was ranked by the MLR fans as the second-best player, in their opinion, this season. And uh, as the Canadian international, I'm sure most people would agree that he has a one- had a wonderful season. But it really was Ryberg that got the uh, the moments of the match, uh, courtesy of the, the hands of Gitto and uh, Adam Ashley Cooper, who provided him a quality ball. Although, I will add, he still had a lot of work to do, especially on that second one, to be able to cross the line. So his momentum just made him get through. Uh, he's a big boy, and when he's at full pace, he's pretty tough to be able to stop. And as, as Scott pointed out, he's still new to be in the right position, running the right lines, and be at the correct pace, ready for that. Because that was not – you didn't feel like those were all training field uh, 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 set plays. That was open play rugby at its best. What do you guys think? Preston, I'll hand it over to you, actually. Yeah, uh, I, you know, obviously get to wins man of the match, like like Dad said or Rob said, whatever you want to call him. (laughs) Um, And it was true the kicking, but it's really, I think for me, Billy Meeks, um, it's just push forward ball. I don't think he ever was stopped uh, behind the game line. And he, a lot of times I noticed, would take the ball into contact, kind of be alone hold it up for a second against often locks and big boys, and then eventually go down, recycle really quickly for Goddard to then play quick to get to and, and Ryberg and such. And I think it's really a testament to, you know, like we had talked about while watching the game, him being able to play that flanker role, but playing 12 excellently where, you know, Adam Ashley Cooper maybe isn't going to take as many go over hard hitting lines at that 12 position. Meeks, I think, did – unbelievable job at it and i think that's what really helps to set la on the front foot especially against uh atl who's been rocks out on defense you know batman breaking the line is what what really set up la quite often and and i love the analysis from all three of you but i wanted to be able to have the fans that are watching walk away with a bigger and grander vision for where rugby is right now based on the merits of what has been achieved this season so scott what would you say are the takeaways for somebody new or somebody who, who's been a fan of rugby but only paying attention to North American rugby now? I think the, the takeaway as, as, let's say, we'll call him a casual fan. Um, a takeaway as a casual fan is, you know, what's, what's next? And what's next is the draft. And, you know, we're having TRS is having that showcase, you know, the, the rugby showcase. And that's going to be, you know, I, not that it's going to be televised, but there's going to be something about it. So I think as a casual fan, what's next is getting into some of these young names and figuring out who the next set of rookies are going to be. Let's take L.A., for example, Christian Rodriguez, a rookie nine. I mean, who would have thought, you know, with all the complaining people do about L.A. and they don't have enough American, you know, and North American players and all that shit. They had a, a rookie nine who got significant playing time this season and even won man of the match in one of their matches. Right. Christian Rodriguez, of course, you're talking about. Yeah, a scrummy. And that doesn't happen often. And that does not happen abroad. And it, it almost doesn't happen in the MLR. And it's starting to happen now. So I think what's next is check out the MLR and see how those guys are going to translate next season because we've seen them produce from this past draft in the 2021 season. Right. And, you know, talking about that, there is, I mean, there's so many names to be paying attention to that could very well be that next generation of stars. Now, Rodriguez has already been, uh, he was capped. Scott, uh, sorry, Rob would know this one, wasn't he? But he was called up, right? No. No. Oh, I'm thinking like no. where? Sorry. I'm thinking, thinking like, about Alaska. Um, nevertheless, 
You got Ryan James is another name I wanted to pick up who yep. recently got some great game time, two tries um, in, in, in the semis there. You, you've got these guys coming up, but right now where it stands as a brand and as a product that rugby, uh, sorry, that Major League Rugby has created, what are the values of that moving forward, Rob, for you? And what will be the strength next season of the rugby that they produce? So uh, I'm going to say this. First of all, I want to throw a shout out and dovetailing off what Scott said. Um, how about Ryan Reese, right? Mm-hmm. And a, a product of Life University, an American-born player. Um, do you see that little snipe he took to get ATL in the position to score their last try? Uh, um, that, that's the potential that's out there for American players, right? Uh, and as Scott talked about, somebody, you know, coming out of the draft and really showing their wares. Um, but I, I also think we've got to put the brakes on being real critical of a team like LA coming in with a lot of international stars. Think about what, how, how I mean, Ryberg was a good player for Colorado, but yeah. think about how good he has been as a result of playing with international caliber players that, yeah, okay, maybe they're over the hill, but nevertheless, Think about how well he's come along. Think about how you mentioned Ryan James, how well he's come along. Think about how well some of these international, but Mika Kruse, think about how well he's come along as a result right. of and, and playing with some of these international players. in their early 20s. There's another right. 10 years. 2031, if it's here on home soil for a Rugby World Cup, you know, those guys will still be in a playing age. Right. And so let's put this in context. I mean, the international player, yes, um, it, 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 you know, it, 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 might that keep somebody out of the lineup like a Christian Rodriguez on a regular basis? Yeah, but it's also going to make all of them better. Right. And, and that's, that's exactly it. All of what has been achieved this season has made rugby better in the American North American landscape without a doubt. I mean, Gary Gold echoed these very same thoughts when he spoke about choosing his players to be able to take on internationals. He had so many players he could choose from. He had access to them because the MLR is working in close partnership. And, of course, he's had uh, th- these players have all had more time to be able to be developed because of the MLR where it is right now. But I want to hand it over for a final thought. Your takeaways, Preston, on where Major League Rugby is now and where it could be next season. Yeah, I'm gonna bounce off um, off a guy guy over here in the tank. Uh, I think, like you said, God, <laughs> uh, like like you said, I think, that's a point taken away from yeah, Rob right seriously. now. <laughs> I'm really glad I'm not the only one thinking that. But I think LA really like yes, there's this super team coming in with all these international caliber players, but. Being a college kid at, at Lindenwood, I feel the same things like someone like Roddy or Cardi might feel, right? I'm playing under these international players, but by playing under them, I'm getting 20 times better. So, like, we're talking about it. Head coach Valley leaves, goes to goes to the Rebels. I believe Goddard came from the Rebels, Rebels Academy. Could we see him go back? Could we see get to leave? And then what does that open up? That opens up. Rodriguez coming back into nine, that leaves Cardi coming into 10 and what they gain from it. And what really America games gains from any international player coming over is the experience of playing under someone, which, you know, if you look at Sexton and then Car- Carberry, Carberry playing under Sexton over at Leinster gets maybe 10, 10 times better, even five times better. But now he's stepping into that 10 role at Ireland, possibly with Sexton leaving and getting older. And it's the same thing here in America. I think it's just, I think with guys possibly leaving Giltini's, um, I think you can see see American-based players really grow and excel. And then, who knows, 2031 or whatever the year is, USA could could really pop out. So I've seen on the, ML- on the MLR fans, I'm like, yeah, these international guys are in here and taking spots. But in all reality, they're making American rugby so much better. I mean, even look at basket playing, playing over at NOLA. Um, and now he's Utah and USA rugby and Cardi under get to and – Maybe even Rodriguez someday. So yeah, you never know. It could be a Basca, a Basca Roddy in twenty thirty one when we host the Rugby World Cup in twenty thirty one. You know, and and we hope. But the, the foundation for that has been laid, and as Preston pointed out, they only have experience to be able to gain by playing with guys that are greater than them, and with that type of experience. Rob pointed out the uh, um, 
you know, the growth for Ryberg and how he's matured as a player, you know, his positioning and, you know, his strength with the ball in hand, all these factors. And, you know, he's reading the lines much better than he did when he was at Colorado. I will say that. Uh, I had the opportunity to observe him. And why? To to the credit of Adam Ashley Cooper, they worked really closely together, uh, you know, and he's been coaching him um, behind the scenes, you know, as a mentor, not in, in a formal coaching role. And so I'm sure it's the same for many of the players. So there is great value. But, of course, you as the fan can tell us what you think by dropping a comment down below. Maybe you agree with these guys on screen. Maybe you disagree with them for whatever reason it may be. We would love to be able to learn about what your thoughts are. So, again, drop a comment down below. We'll get to it as quickly as we can. And for the rest of you who want to continue learning more about the Rugby Rant, what we do, you can follow us on social media at the handle at Rugby Rant Pod, where we will continue to be able to share everything we know and everything we will continue to learn about rugby in North America because we, as the Rugby Rant, grow, aim to grow rugby one fan at a time. Whereas we take a moment to step away from this topic for the Major League Rugby 2021 title being handed to LA in opposition against Rugby ATL, we will take a moment to learn a little bit about one of our sponsors again who help us continue to be able to share what we do here with you as fans. So we'll be back in just a moment. You know, Rugby Rant fans, uh, one of our sponsors is Can-I Brands. And, and what we like about Can-I Brands is they they give they have four lines of CBD products that can help you throughout the day, throughout the week. You know, we talk about recovery. We talk about energy. We talk about, you know, mellowing out. We talk about helping you in your sleep. And, you know, the best thing about Can-I Brands is, um, you know, they're safe alternative to opioids and other habit-performing prescription drugs. Um, you know, they're trusted, lab-tested, all-natural, uh, non-habit-forming. And you know what? They have no THC in them, which is, you know, a good thing considering, you know, most of us like to stay employed. Um, but I use Can I Fresh? And um, what happens is, you know, I had a long day at work. Um, you know, my wife is, is yelling at me, you know, misses the big guys yelling at me about all the laundry I didn't do. I got Ty Braga yelling at me because I, I, I don't know, I, I, I gave away free information on the MLR fan zone, free content. And you know what I need to do? I just need to mellow out. I just need to take that edge off. You know, I'm high strung sometimes. And just, you know, eight sprays of this Can I Fresh, um, you know, kind of mellows me out a little bit, gets me in a good mood to, to really do some creative things when I'm helping Rob out with edits or I'm doing the audio version of the podcast. Um, also, actually, you know, I was going to give it, a, I was going to ro- roll it over to Ty, but I also have, I love the Can I Mend Balm. Um, you know, I'm a big dude. You guys know I hurt my ankle like three or four weeks ago. <laughs> still on IR. <laughs> yeah, still on IR. You know, I, Ben Foden challenged me to a 40-yard dash. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but the bomb, the Can I Brand bomb, uh, men bomb, is it was awesome. I mean, it literally, it, it should have taken me two or three weeks f- to recover from that ankle sprain. It took me about a week. It eased the pain. It helped the swelling. Um, so really, it not, it's it's all four of these things combined can really help out your day. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, the one that I've enjoyed most is the Can I Boost. So there's a couple of different ways to be able to enjoy it. This is the dropper and eight drops under the tongue. You're good to go. The spray is like eight pumps as well. Um, but then there's the bomb. So it's really convenient whichever way you want to be able to use it. But the Can I Boost got a little bit of a caffeine kick to it. So it does exactly as it promises is to give you that little bit of a boost for a few hours to get through uh, a dull or boring task or just maybe you need that pick-me-up. But you can go and check it out yourself and try it out for the first time or continue to be able to enjoy it like you have been with the promo code RANT25. You're going to get 25% off your entire order, not just one single item, but everything in that basket. So make sure you load as much as you can into that before you use that code because you're going to get that maximum savings then. And anything over, any great, like, you know, any purchase of the greater goods or everything you got in your basket, over 49 bucks is going to give you free shipping anywhere in the continent U.S. that they ship to. Uh, so make sure you just check that shipping policy. It's important to be able to check that they will ship to you. We want you to be able to get the good stuff that we're getting here. Uh, and you can do that by using that promo code RANT25, and that's 25% off. So, again, that's canibrands.com. Thanks again for uh, sharing those uh, those thoughts there. Scott, an extra point. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus point, baby. 
So as we take the opportunity to be able to step into the latter part of our podcast here on the Rugby Rand, as you know, that rugby debate show, we put our guests against each other for top honors as they compete giving their best views on the topic at hand. In the first part, we spoke about the Major League Rugby 2021 final going to LA, and they shared their analysis inside that, shared their thoughts on what they believe are the takeaways from that for fans that are tuning in. But we want to turn our attention to the other rugby action across in Japan with Tokyo 2027s between the men's and women's results for both Rugby Canada and the U.S. So without further delay, let's hand it over to Rob Hammerschmidt to be able to start us off. Well, you know, I'm going to, there's a lot to cover in this one with both men's and women's from both Rugby Canada and the United States. So I'm going to try to hit the high points. You know, I think U.S. men, um, uh, you know, people are talking about it as a disappointment. And I would, I would argue, is it really, I mean, the U.S. certainly have the potential to do very well. Obviously, they won uh, the Vegas tournament, but they've been pretty consistent. And if you think about the challenges when you're talking about um, sevens, is you have some powerhouse teams that it's pretty tough to defeat. You know, New Zealand and Fiji, and then, of course, uh, the now combined U.K. team. Um, so I think they had a big mountain to climb. And uh, quite frankly, without a guy like Ben Pinkelman, I think they missed him at the breakdown quite mm. a bit um, because he is a breakdown specialist. Um, I think that was uh, that didn't work to their advantage. I think another thing that I began to question is age factor. And I don't mean to take away from those guys, but if you look at collective age, you had seven guys in the 12-man 12, 12 rotation that were over 30. Compare that to Fiji. Fiji only had three that were over 30, and they had five that were younger than 25. So uh, I, I just begin to wonder whether maybe, yes, there's some experience there, but when you're talking about a press tournament over two days, um, playing over to the heat and conditions they were being asked to play in, did that play to their disadvantage? Um, the women, um, you know, the women's team, uh, I, I think a big, great takeaway is they were 3-0 and in pool play. I think they really played well. They were physical. They were dominant. Um, they just ran up against a tough uh, UK team. They lost 21-12. That was a that was a rough one, um, and they split with Australia, so they went four and two overall. And I think it was a pretty good result. It doesn't show in the fact that they got sixth uh, this year as opposed to in Rio where they got fifth. But I think the results were pretty good. Um, you know, splitting with the the, the former Rio six, uh, 2016 champion uh, Australia, you, you got to feel good about that result in pool play. Um, as far as Rugby Canada goes, um, you know the men. Uh, they weren't even in the tournament in 2016, right? Um, and so to you know to look at what they did here, yeah, they they were five and one. That was a bit of a disappointment, but to to see them you know come into the tournament um, and actually um, you know get eighth, um, they got to start somewhere. So let's let's uh, you know see how they develop here in 2024. And finally, Rugby Canada women, um, they that was the big disappointment. Of the four, that was a big disappointment. They had the bronze medalist in, in the Rio, uh, and they, they're ninth this year uh, with a, a record of three and two. So I think, um, you know, women's fans up in, of rugby can't get a guy's point. Right. And I think a lot of people would share that sentiment with you because the highest expectation would have been on the, the, the women's sevens for Canada. As you so rightly pointed out, you know, there were a medal placing. Yeah, but for the men's side, hey, this is an upside. You know, they weren't even qualified for the 2016, even though it's a placing of eight. Hey, you only had up to be able to go, right? I mean, you were included, you competed, and you'll take away some great lessons to be able to learn with you. But the nature of sevens is that it's unpredictable. The same reason that we say, oh, we, 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 we enjoy it, can't be the same reason now that we discredit a team because every team here was in a very surreal environment when participating uh, in rugby. You know, they all had the same challenges with COVID. The preparations were hindered. They didn't have the same game time they were leading up to it. The unpredictability. Are those excuses? Probably not because everybody was in the same boat, so to speak. Did Was there a higher expectation for, for, for USA rugby than, than what maybe was realistic? You know, these are thoughts that people are throwing out on social media. I'm not going to answer them. I'm actually going to hand it to Preston to see what he thinks. Yeah, I think I'm going to touch on age more for me because obviously I'm the, the young buck and I know what's going on college-wise um, as much as he likes to think he is. 
Um, I think USA. I think a lot of teams have figured it out youth-wise, but USA hasn't. This is Olympics number two. They're using the same basis of players as the last one, but I think Mike Friday and whatever the next sevens Olympic squad is going to going to look like coaching-wise is going to realize there's youth to be held, to be had. And to be honest, the youth sevens rugby is exploding. Um, you know, Olympics number one, there's a lot of youth now interested in it. Olympics number two, those kids that were young are showing up. Uh, my guy, Nick Hardrick II, coming from LU, going into sophomore year. I think he's playing with USA uh, U23s at almost 19 in the upcoming rugby town. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, anybody in the comments. But a guy like him who's 19, you know, 19, he's been through two two Olympics watching him, and now he's coming out. I think he could have – he could explode on the scene. Uh, Harley Wheeler, again, going to be young for the next Olympics. Um, even Cody Melfi. Um, I think just USA is figuring out that they're going to have to wait a little bit, and I think it's, it's going to be the third Olympics that's really going to be the one um, to help them out. I think I think going from sixth, I think the next one should be a should be a medal at least. Um, women's wise, I think it's just they just missed it. You know, four and two I think just doesn't. You know, six like stinks looking at it, but four and two in sevens is a good go. Like the record doesn't show the performance they went on and sevens is a different beast. You can go on to feed and pool play and then drop two games, go one and two real quick. Um, rugby Canada wise, you know, I don't know much. I know my guy, uh, alumni value, um, CLC Wolf right now, Nick Taylor was a part of a seven squads going, seven squad going to Italy a couple years ago, ago, excuse me. And, you know, he's not in it right now. I'm not sure what the their academy system is looking like, but it seems like they're dropping off because I know not too long ago, Canada was in the hunt. They were like the USA, you know, in one tournament, a couple tournaments, they, they could be up there in the top three, top five, whatever it was. So I think Canada seems to be slipping. And then, like he said, the women going from a bronze, you know, I think Canada just has to look, you know, step back, relook at it and have another go this next Olympics. And I think that's generally the case for Rugby Canada in general is they need to take a step back, reevaluate, look at some of the strengths. But one of the great strengths, sorry, one of the great things that that is uh, good coming their way is the um, launch of Premier Rugby Sevens, where a lot of players are now going to be adopted in this league. Uh, names are still to be revealed. And in fact, if you want to learn more about that as a fan of Sevens Rugby, make sure you stick around and you get us on social media at Rugby Rant Pod. You can find us under that handle on all social media. The reason I bring this up is if you really want to learn more about where Sevens is going in North America in the near future, Premier Rugby Sevens, we will be having Mike Tolkien, who is going to be the GM driving this new uh, league. And uh, it's going to be first event is in Memphis. We're going to have him on the show here on the Rugby Rant run parcel kick interview on August 16th. So make sure you tune in for that one. You'll have an opportunity to get some further insight as to where these Olympic athletes will land and how it will work in this professional sevens league, which by the way, is the first time a professional league is set up in this manner for sevens. We know sevens is a really entertaining format of rugby that has been embraced by fans in the U S and arguably so, is an easier way for them to get involved with rugby. So that's a great chance to be able to learn more about it. August 16th with Mike Tolkien on run, pass, or kick. Scott, I wanted to hand it back to you for some of your final thoughts in regards to the the performances of the Olympic athletes in the sevens. Yeah, we're still cooking. And the, for those of you that that know Mike, you know, he was former Rooney coach in 2019. So, you know, he still has some, some MLR uh, connections. But, yeah, you know, I think – you know, for men's, you have to say based on if you're going based on final position, it was it was good for the men's. You know, they they were ninth in Rio, sixth or uh, right or fifth, or whatever. Whatever we said in uh, Tokyo, but you know, we're we're going on the age thing. I mean, you know, Baker essentially said he's retiring after the the the, the sevens World Cup, so he won't be on the team. I'm assuming Carlin Isles is going to retire from international competition as well. Um, and let's talk about Carlin Isles real quick. He changed his body physique. 
Um, he looks more like he did in his in his in his you know track and field days, as far as he's a little more bulked up. Um, and I think that helped him, and, and it showcased his defense, which everybody said he didn't have a defense. I mean, it showed that he has the body to do it, and he has the tackling ability to do it. And honestly, I think he's going to move, you know, into to the to pro rugby sevens, or you know, maybe even looking for an MLR contract at some point with with what he's doing. Um, but uh, uh, Little Hammer mentioned Cody Melfi, and for those of you that didn't follow, this is a big thing that was going on. Cody Melfi on the men's team and Alona Mar on the women's team went viral for their TikToks. Uh, and and really, you guys might not be in it, but me running the social media for the show, everything was about them. Like people, I, this is the first time I ever watched rugby. I'm watching because of Alona. I'm watching because of Cody. And that's what people are saying, especially young women. And it was amazing to see, regardless of how the women finished and the men finished, that this is it, it was it was a phenomenon to people say, I've never seen rugby before. What the hell is sevens? Then you had people going on and doing some great instructional videos. You had um, other uh, Olympic teams trying to come in and be on some of these TikToks, TikToks and stuff. You know, Perry Baker's now on the New Zealand rowing teams TikTok. Like the cross pollination between sports on social media and the amount of young people on social media, seeing this and picking it up, I think is invaluable. I think USA Rugby, and this was on their personal accounts. This wasn't through USA Rugby. They did it on their own volition on their own time. And what you get out of that is an organic growth, something that we haven't had in a long time, something that we complain about that USAR doesn't do. We need to continue to ride this wave. We need to continue to have these players go into to PR sevens and continue to do what they do on social media. Cause they are the next generation. And like Rob said, when he was talking about, or uh, little hammer said, when he was talking about, you know, who were the, the kids, you know, and now they're coming up and being the, the teenagers and the U twenties, we still have to go back and get those new set of kids. And this is how we do it. So as far as we didn't not meddling. Yeah. It's a disappointment, but you know what? Sevens is a fickle, fickle mistress, you know, again, Four and two is a really good, really good record. But I still think it's a win just because I'm telling you, we gained so many fans. But we as rugby fans now have to push it on social media ourselves. And tell I told everybody that I could, well, you know, there's an MLR final coming up. There's pro sevens coming around in, in, in the United States. So we have to continue that push and get these fans going. Right. These are the ambassadors that will carry the sport forward for the next generation. And we need to embrace that. And why wouldn't you? It's free advertising, right? The most powerful tool that you have at your disposal right now is free. <laughs> so it's it's definitely worth mentioning. I'm glad you brought that up, Scott. And I wanted to be able to bring it up just for a moment that, again, why we are here is to be able to help grow rugby one fan at a time. And what personifies that exact same spirit is those two players with Alona and, of course, Cody, who are carrying that flag for USA Rugby on the seventh circuit. And there are probably even more ambassadors just like them out there, and they too deserve that opportunity to be seen and, of course, to share the game that we all so love because together we're always going to achieve more. And that's why myself... Rob and the Hammers, uh, Scott, of course. Uh, sorry, I pointed to the wrong person. He's going to hate that. He's like, demerit for Ty. <laughs> but talking about demerits, um, we need to be able to to now address who's the winner of this round. It's been a little difficult to be able to score this round. But ultimately, it comes down to who has provided the greatest points, put forth the best rent. We were a little bit uh, loose on the time frame, so nobody got a yellow card this time around, which is rare. Um, perhaps the citing commission might find more cause for it later. So you were um, letting things play on like J.P. Doyle did this weekend in the final. Right. right. Well, I'm waiting for Razzie to watch the show and start writing. You know, oh, an hour. I wanted to bring that up so badly. <laughs> I always said, you know, if this whole like rugby thing doesn't work out for Rusty Rasmus, he's got a great career in podcasts. Wrestling, <laughs> <laughs> either one. Right. So are the days of our lives. As rugby fans, there's always going to be a little drama in between. But when the stakes are as high as they are for the British and Irish Lions and South Africa, even more drama, perhaps. But uh, let me draw our attention back to the matter at hand, gentlemen. Who is the winner of? this episode and i am going to say the winner is well let me phrase it this way sometimes two 
is not better than one. Quote his point. Don't care as long as he doesn't win. <laughs> I like that spirit there, Preston. Uh, you know what, Preston? As we do uh, all the time, bit of a tradition on the show. When our guest is present, we like to be able to give them the floor for a moment to send a shout out to anybody important. Maybe you have a cause you want to draw attention to. So we hand the mic to you, my friend. No, I'll, I'll thank you guys for having me on for the second time now. It's it's always a pleasure. Um, but I'll just give a shout out to to any anybody playing rugby. Hopefully, you guys have a have a blessed season and get to get through it and uh, get back to playing rugby even through COVID. So uh, good luck to everybody who's watching and any rugby players out there because. We all know we need to get out there and and hit someone that we can't usually hit. So, <laughs> right. So, if you are uh, looking to, to everybody hit- watching, anytime, big boy, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see a step on the field this past weekend. Mm-hmm. I think I see a TikTok challenge uh, forming right in front of us here somewhere. <laughs> Absolutely, we're gonna have to that's do that. Gonna, hey, that's if I don't have to teach them how to use it first. Right. Well, I don't even know. I think who was it? Was it his younger brother will figure it out? In the meantime, I'll make him scream for mercy. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, it's time to be able to leave our final uh, moment here uh, as Scott leaves the winner of another episode that makes it two in a row, I believe, and uh, he'll be looking for the hat trick next week where you can of course find us again on the rugby network each and every friday with a new episode and a new rant and a new debate what will it be next week it'll be interesting make sure you follow us on the mlr fan zone to learn more about major league rugby what's coming for north american rugby as we shift our attention away from mlr to talking about north american rugby including premier rugby sevens as i remind you you can learn more about that through mike tolkien's interview here on the rugby rant in our run pass or kick interview which will take place on monday evenings at 8 p.m cst my name is Ty i've been your host for today's activities alongside our competitors here we have preston hammerschmidt rob hammerschmidt and scott the big guy Ferraro. we thank you for watching another great episode of the rugby rant and we will see you at the next Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.